Welcome into another edition of the Duck Territory with Educk podcast. Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, across the way. Hey guys. Uh, as usual, we're talking uh, now that it's basketball season. Uh, we're talking Oregon basketball, and it was kind of a big week for the Ducks yeah. uh, this past weekend, going down to the desert, playing the Arizona schools on on a road swing, and they they pulled out a victory. And I think we learned more about this team in the loss. I agree. Than we did in the victory. Uh, they beat Arizona State 76-72 on Thursday and then went down to uh, Tucson and played the Arizona Wildcats at McHale Saturday afternoon, uh, morning here. And they lost 90-83, to but they had the lead, I think a four-point lead with five minutes to go in that game. And while they didn't lead for a majority of it, no. they had their chance to win this game. They did, and, and unfortunately it they kind of... They played so well, basically, for, you know, back-to-back games. And then they had that one lapse for three minutes where they couldn't score. Yep. And Arizona, I think, scored in every possession or all but one and took a seven-point lead with a minute to go. And at that point, it was over. But, you know, you started to see them compete at a high level. I think, to me, I'm not sure how good Arizona State is. I think kind of the committee's out on how good they are. They could, they were a couple possessions against Oregon State from being one and four right now. Um, still not minimizing the win, but not sure how much you can take away from that. But the fact that they went down to Tucson in a game that I didn't know how competitive it would be just because Arizona looked like they had kind of started to figure things yeah. out. And to be, not only be somewhat competitive, but to have a shot to win it kind of going down in the last couple minutes was very encouraging. You saw, I thought, great senior leadership, which is something this team has lacked from both Elijah Brown and Mikhail McIntosh. McIntosh in particular played really, really hard this weekend. That was I think far and away the best we've seen him play. I think he averaged about 15 points and eight rebounds over the weekend, and maybe more than eight rebounds. I think he might have had about nine or ten rebounds a game. I know he had 13 against um, Arizona State, but that that duo really helps. And they position themselves now where just by picking up that split, you look up at the schedule now, and if you're now more optimistic in how they're going to play, their next seven games are I don't want to say all win- very very winnable, but they're they're games that they will probably have a good chance of winning. You know, they play the L.A. schools this weekend, and then after that, it really opens up for them. So big to get the split. If they would have gotten a sweep somehow, they would have honestly felt like a team that could really compete for a conference championship because that would have given them the advantage against Arizona um, and the tiebreaker there. And you figure that Arizona's going to lose a couple games going on, you know, and Oregon will probably lose a couple games. But very encouraging weekend. I think you saw a lot better things, especially offensively. The ball movement was really good. I think they had assists on over 60% of their made field goals. Yep. Uh, we'll go more in depth on Oregon's week that was down in the desert, also previewing this week's home slate. Uh, we'll also look at the Pac-12 and how it's not, it's, a mess. it's still confusing. <laughs> um, and we'll, we'll debate some stuff that Steve Lavin came out with on the, on the Pac-12 networks uh, this past weekend uh, following the conclusion of all the games. And then we'll also discuss some recruiting news for Oregon basketball Uh Oregon staff, as of Monday afternoon, was spread out across the country uh, recruiting uh, uh, this past weekend because of the Martin Luther King holiday and some big tournaments that are going around the country uh, and the Ducks having Monday off for practice. So, uh, But going back to this weekend, I think, Eric, uh, one of the biggest takeaways I had was, not, and I said this, and um, I was more impressed with Oregon in the loss yeah. um, than they were uh, in, in the victory. Um, I think this was the... Both games, this is the team we were kind of expecting to see. Ball movement was there. Defensive you know, presence was there from both guys. We saw the athletic ability of a Macintosh finally kind of you know come through. Right. Uh, and I think Elijah Brown, for the most part, 
you know, while I'm not placing, you know, the blame on strictly on him, you know, he has a as an ability to shoot Oregon in of games and shoot Oregon out of games right. uh, with his shot selection. And I think for both guy for both games, Elijah Brown was probably at his best in his early time that he's been here at Oregon. It's a weird way of looking at it, but I almost put less blame on the shot selection on him than I do on his teammates for putting him in positions where he has a good shot. I feel like when the offense isn't moving very well, he feels like he is obligated to put up a, a, yeah. a tough jump shot because the offense needs some sort of spark. And when he's not making those, those are terrible shots. I mean, he, we've seen him take some shots where it's just like, why would you even think about shooting yeah. that much less pull the trigger? But when the ball movement's moving well, and we saw this in both games this weekend, when he and Pritchard are able to find open three-point shots, those guys are really, really good open three-point shooters. And I think that's what we saw this weekend more yeah. of him. So I almost feel like it's less shot selection as it is shots that are available being high-quality shots that he's capable of making. And, and he hit them at a really high percentage this weekend, which was encouraging because I think even on the last podcast we kind of discussed him as kind of almost a bit of a chucker. And yeah. He takes a ton of shots, and some of them aren't very high percentage, but I thought the ones he took this weekend, for the most part, were, were really good ones. He shot 9 of 20 from 3 over the weekend. Uh, he had 18 points in a win over Arizona State, shot just 39% from the field. Uh, but I think you, you look at his shots that he took, and you don't really have – any kind of uh, oh that was a bad shot uh, that, yeah, that was a hard feel yeah he didn't have any of those moments I don't feel like he had really any of those moments in Arizona maybe had one I think at the end and yeah at the end I think yeah at that point though it was kind of justified because he was just on fire and you know you kind of live with it at that point um, I think he's kind of figured out this past weekend. Uh, and like you said, it's a great point of he's not being placed in these situations where he's having to just kind of create. Right. And it, maybe that's Oregon finally figuring out how to get him the ball and keep him in, engaged. And at the same time, it's him making that adjustment and finally figuring out how he can fit within this offense. I think that was critical for Oregon to, to get the road split. And then, you know, all, all year long when we first saw Michael McIntosh, uh, in person, you and I both were pretty taken back of just how physically imposing yeah. he looks at 6'7", 240 pounds. I mean, I, I look at it as a guy that's – he's a, he looks like an Elgin Cook but with 30 more pounds on him. Mm-hmm. Um, he looks like an NFL tight end. Right. And you watch his highlight tapes and you, you see the athletic comparisons to Cook. Um, but I don't think he's really kind of had that moment where he could be a total mismatch. Uh, for an opponent like Elgin Cook was down on the block or out on the perimeter in that six seven type of a frame, who can play power forward and, and and at the same time play guard. And this past weekend we saw it. I, I think this was far and away McIntosh's best oh, yeah. best weekend or best two game stretch of his career at Oregon. He had a double double against Arizona State, twelve points, thirteen rebounds, uh, three assists uh, against Arizona and against a front line that quite honestly towered over anyone Oregon put out there except for uh, Kenny Wooten, who hardly played in that game. And he's still three inches shorter than those guys. Yes. Uh, McIntosh was just as good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think he – you could say he was better than Aiden. No. And that's, and that's obvious. Right. Uh, but McIntosh's skill set created problems for Arizona's bigs, and he finished with 20 points, seven assists uh, – seven rebounds, one assist, two blocks, two steals – before fouling out with 30 seconds to go in the game. And I walked away from that weekend thinking probably the two guys that are most important to this team outside of Peyton Pritchard and Troy Brown, McIntosh 
and and Elijah Brown have maybe finally figured things out and know how they can kind of roam and, and do their damage within this this program. Yeah, you, this and this is part of this. This is the point of the season where you expect guys to kind of understand their roles. And I think something has clicked. And, and now we say this, and who knows what the week is going to bring? Because if there's anything we've learned from this season from this team, it's that kind of expect the unexpected. I think right. We expected the, their trip to the Arizona schools to be. Potentially really disheartening, and they go out there and are three minutes from a road sweep, which would have been, you know, very, very surprising. But I do think we're starting to see those guys kind of find their roles. And, you know, Brown is a guy that probably, if he's going to shoot at that high percentage like he did over the weekend, should be shooting 10, 12, 13 shots a game. And McIntosh is a guy that you go out there and he can be a mismatch offensively and defensively. And, and if he keeps playing like he did in the offensive glass, I mean, I think he had three, maybe four putbacks. Um, and yep. a couple of them drawing fouls. Yes, in that game against Arizona, that were kind of you know turned the game on its on its head there a few times. If he's able to continue to play with that effort and that strength that he has, because I like we touched on earlier, he is so much broader than most guys he's going against. Those guys have five inches on him in height, but they weigh about the same amount because he is just built like a like a tank out there. And his ability to grab rebounds and finish in traffic was really was really key. And and he's going to go up against some really good front court players against USC and UCLA at home, no doubt about it. But I'm not sure he'll face a better front court no. than he did against Arizona, and he performed very very well in that game. How concerned should Oregon coaches, should Oregon fans be about Kenny Wooten? Because while McIntosh and Elijah Brown have certainly upped their play the last two games, um, Kenny Wooten's kind of in his first five games in the Pac-12 have, I don't want to use the word disaster, but they're not good. Yeah. Uh, zero points in a, in a loss to Utah. Uh, he had five, five locks before fouling out. He had 13 points, seven rebounds, and uh, three Colorado. blocks against yeah. Colorado. But then against Oregon State, he played just 13 minutes before fouling out, scored two points, three rebounds, one shot attempt. Uh, in the win over Arizona State, he played just 11 minutes had four fouls, four points, uh, two steals. Didn't have a single block in that game against Arizona. He played just 12 minutes, uh, had three fouls, scored three points, and had one block and was useless. Not useless, but you know, he didn't do much. Right. Um, Altman said, beginning of the year, he needs to cut back on his fouls. It seems like that's kind of become a, an issue again. Well, it was interesting. Yeah, again, is the key word there. He, he did struggle with that, and especially with that PK-80 event, and I think against Boise State, he barely played because of that. But then they won five in a row. Maybe it was four in a row after that Boise State loss, and it seemed like he figured it out. He was yeah. fouling at a much lower rate, one, two a game. Suddenly in Pac-12 play, and maybe this is getting used to the physicality of it, of how they're calling games or whatnot, but... He's not even able to stay on the court. And yeah. some of them are really silly fouls. Some of you don't really have an issue with because he's just trying to contest shots. But that's something maybe as a young shot blocker he needs to learn. He can't block all of them. But some of them are silly and are fouls that he needs to be much more you know, intelligent and, and, and recognize his value on the court because he really is their only rim protector. And we mentioned McIntosh is a guy who can rebound, but he might have had a couple blocks against Arizona, but that's not really his role. Wooten is the guy who can change the game with his ability to block shots. And... He is far too valuable to only play 11, 12, 13 minutes a game like he has in the last three. And um, Oregon, frankly, one and two in those games, could be two and one. Probably fortunate to have had as much success without him, yep. who is the key rim protector. And you have to give, it's a weird thing to say, you have to give a lot of credit to Roman Sorkin yeah. in that Arizona State game because He's he came huge. and played arguably better than Wooten has offensively almost all year with some of the things he was able to do. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if it's time to panic yet. I don't think you adjust your starting lineup. 
Um, I think if you're Dana Altman, you you play your 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 plan kind of, and this is not a good comparison from a pure talent standpoint because Kenny Wooten is by far and above a better player than Waverly Austin. Than Waverly Austin. <laughs> um, but I think if you're Altman, you kind of take that approach of let's start Wooten and see how he does in that first four minute spurt. And if if he plays well and it, it's a good night for him, then he's going to play 20, 25, 30 minutes tonight. Uh, if he doesn't, then you kind of adjust your game plan and he's going to do what he's done the last three and, and kind of play in that 10-minute range yeah. uh, for Oregon because he's fouling a lot and you can't have uh, your rim protector fouling a ton. Now, some of it's not on him, I think. Uh, Oregon's still making some defensive uh, failures that are causing him to kind of foul to protect the rim here, but... Um, Oregon's got to be able to keep him on the court, uh, and he's still going to be an important piece to this team uh, down the stretch as Oregon tries to get into the NCAA tournament. And that kind of segues in yeah. uh, to our next segment here of kind of adjusting and seeing where the Ducks are at. I've looked at a lot of the mocks that have come out this week uh, about the NCAA tournament and the bracketology, Joe Lenardi, NBC Sports, uh, the big lead, you know, throw them out there and, you know, you read them. Uh Oregon is yet to be included in the field, but they're starting to pop up now in the who's left, uh, who's left out or just missed the cut category because of that win at Arizona State. They're, sit, they're sitting 79th in the RPI. Uh, they've got to get inside the six, the 60s, so yeah. 59 or below. I, yeah, really, I, to have a good I, shot. Yeah, and the forties is really optimal because you start looking at the number of at-large bids that are out there, and you've, you've got to have a, an RPI in that thirty-eight to forty-five range to really yep. have a shot. I think. Um, but this is where things can get good for Oregon because the next seven games, uh, starting on Thursday with a USC home game, and then UCLA, OSU, Cal, Stanford uh, at Cal at Stanford, and then back home again against the Washington and Washington State. Uh, the next. What is that? Seven seven games. I think Ken Palm projects Oregon to win all seven. You and I said this before we went on and we started recording this podcast that these next seven games are games Oregon should come out six and one at worst. Yeah, and 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 the reality is is if they're going to compete for a factual championship, you have to. they have to they have to win six or seven of these games because if they come out of this stretch. Three and four, or even four and three, or five and two, it gets a heck of a lot harder right after that, and, and that and that's the place where this kind of stretch here kind of makes or you know costs them their season because these are big games against teams that I think they should beat, and again five out of seven at home yep. where Oregon has historically played really really well. I know they've had a couple of issues this season, but um, if they can set the tone with these LA schools this weekend, the five after that in particular get I think very easy. You know I know. Oregon State's beat them already. I know Stanford has won four um, four games in a row. I know Washington looks to be much improved, but I Oregon's think, better I than think those Oregon teams. is better on talent than all those teams. I think that game at Stanford will probably be really tough, regardless, because yeah. Oregon's had a hard time on that road trip historically, anyway. But uh, this is a very crucial, you know, sequence of the season for them, and and given kind of. The optimism that comes from this past weekend, I think if they're able to carry that momentum into this section and they say they come out of this next seven games and say they are nine and three, which would mean they would have won all seven games, they're going to be looking right in the middle of that conference championship again. They, they'll have a shot to win the league. Um, if as crazy as that sounds. Which is nuts if, if they're able to then, you know, 
probably they probably have to pick off Arizona and win some of those LA games on the road, but um, they would they would have a shot, and and that's pretty wild. And, and again, that's where this momentum of this next stretch really comes into play because they're going to have to take care of business and, and win at, at minimum six out of seven, I think. Currently, Oregon has one top 25 win, which is a big one because it's on the road, too, and that's at Arizona State, who's 25th in uh, the NCAA's RPI. So it's actually even better than that. It's a top 25 win. Typically, if you can get a couple of those stacked onto a couple of top 50, top 100 wins, you're in line to get a four or five, you know, five seed. Um, so Oregon's already, you know, got a, a really marquee win now in Arizona State. Uh, their only other big win, though, is a top top uh, 100 win, and it's almost top 50. Colorado's 53rd in the NCAA RPI, and this is what's crazy about just a couple of seconds here and there of some games because uh, if Oregon is able to just hold on to a lead with 90 seconds to go against Boise State, Right. That's, an, that's another top 50 victory. Yeah, they're like top 30, they're 29th in the yeah, country. Good. Uh, you've got another one where if Oregon could just hold on in the last three minutes against Utah, that's a uh, top 70 RPI win because they're 63rd in the, in the NCAA RPI. And then the UConn game, they had that lead, I think, in the you know, final two or three minutes of that one as well uh, after playing so horrible the whole way. If they were able to just hold on and win that one, you know, that's a third game in the top 100 that Oregon could have had, and we're sitting here not talking about this team lacking marquee wins. We'd be talking about this team lacking the marquee wins to have a two or a three seed. You know, they'd be safely in the tournament right now. Um, but the good thing for Oregon is, is they've got opportunities now to get some wins because USC, who comes into town on Thursday, they're 44th in the RPI. UCLA on Saturday is 48th. They've got a game uh, at home in about three weeks against the Huskies. Huskies are 54th in the NCAA RPI. And then you've also got a game uh, at Stanford. Uh, and while the Cardinals are just inside, literally at 98th in, in the country, uh, Stanford's got an opportunity to win a couple games before that period kind of increased their RPI a little bit, and which would give Oregon an, another game uh, to kind of notch on their belt. And, then, you know, look, we're not talking about Oregon getting a three seed or no, a four seed right now. They have to win out, probably. They've, they've got to, you know, they've got to get some, you know, a ton of help and they've got to do a, a lot of work to get in that, that realm of things. But we're talking about Oregon becoming a 10 seed or, or a nine seed or, or an 11 seed or a 12 seed and kind of at 12 or 11, you're kind of iffy if you're safely in. But right. if you can get to 10, uh, you're, you're a team that's safe in the tournament and, that's reachable over these next seven games. Yeah, we mentioned Stanford, and this will kind of get to the craziness of the conference here, but I'm really curious to see what the committee does about them. I'm not sure how many people have paid too much attention to Stanford, but they were, I think, a below 500 team in non-conference play, got two of their best players back, and have won four in a row. So that's a game where maybe they're 98th in the RPI, but maybe the committee says, hey, actually this team is like the 35th best team in the country, so a win at Stanford could be more valuable than than we're even kind of giving them right now. Um, looking at the Pac-12 in general right now, you, you kind of look at the, the pecking order. Stanford, Arizona are currently tied for first uh, at 4-1 and one in the Pac-12. And then you've got UCLA and USC who are tied for third at 4-2. and two. So you've got a chance for Oregon here next this week alone right. to make up a ton of ground of, of the teams that are ahead of you. Uh, they're ahead of the Ducks by one and a half games. You beat both of them. Uh, you're more than likely going to be a half a game out at, at worst. Maybe ahead of, Maybe ahead of those them. teams, right. Um, and then you've got Washington, uh, who is fifth in the conference at 3-2. and two. Uh, Colorado is sixth. 
at three and three, and then at seventh you've got a, just a jumbled group of Arizona State, Oregon, and Oregon State all at two and three, and then uh, Utah's two and four, Washington State and Cal are, are are one and four. So you've got in this in this group of seven games, you've got a couple teams at home up higher up on the pecking order uh, coming to town. You've got. Easy wins against Cal and Washington State. I think while Oregon's had their had their struggles at playing at both of those schools, um, I think you can safely say that Oregon is a far superior team than both of them. And if they lose to one of those programs, we shouldn't be talking about the NCAA tournament. Washington State beat Cal by like thirty the other day, which is really just bizarre. strange. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but yeah, you're you're right about, though about Stanford because they're currently ten and eight overall right. and. They're four and one in the Pac-12, and their only loss is to Cal. This is weird at home. They've, they've, <laughs> no, they've, they've, they've beaten four really pretty good teams, and they've lost to the probably the worst, worst team, team in the conference. At home. So this conference doesn't make a lot of sense. Utah, and remember that opening weekend. Utah yes. comes in, they sweep the Oregon schools. Colorado gets swept by like twenty points each game. Turns around, Utah loses all their games. Colorado wins three out of four, including win uh, win at UCLA and two home wins over the Arizona schools. I mean, it's really hard to project what's going to happen, which kind of makes this so fun because. I do think that this is kind of, you know, as poorly as Oregon has played at times, this conference still is like kind of... Open no, it's completely up and it's I mean, completely... They, they could go on a hot run here, and I don't have confidence that anyone, probably with the exception of Arizona, who I think is still far and away maybe the best team in the conference, but Oregon almost won that game. But I think on any given night, Oregon could beat any of these teams on any venue um, just with just kind of even playing maybe not even their best effort because it's such a hard conference to kind of gauge and... And again, I think this week is going to be really key because the you know the LA schools are not only in the standings but also in the RPI are, are teams that are pretty well respected right now. And Oregon can pick up a home sweep, which I think they've done the last couple of years against the LA schools. That'll put them in a good spot, not only with the, the committee but put them back in, in, in above 500 and Pac-12 play at four and three. I think we'll learn a lot about the two teams. I think have two or three teams that have probably the most questions about. Uh, that's, that's Stanford and Arizona State. Um, Stanford is at home this weekend against Arizona State and then Arizona. And then the following weekend, they go to USC and UCLA. So, you know, this is before they come to Eugene and, and play up here. Uh, so if, if you look at, or for they, they play at, at, at home against the Oregon schools. So next three weeks, we'll know if Stanford's legit. Or if this kind of four and one start is, it's kind of a fluke. Um, and then with, with Arizona State, I'm, I, look, I 100% think this team is top 25. I think they are legitimately a, you know, 60 or better in the NCAA tournament. No way in hell am I buying the idea that they're a top 10 team, no. let alone top five like they were earlier in the season because they they got to that ranking because of upsets, because of you know being the hunter, not the hunted. Now that they've got that high ranking next to their name, they've switched mentalities here a little bit. And I'm I'm a huge believer in you have to have experience of being that type of a program to, to be able to withstand the pressures that come with it. Like I don't think Oregon gets to the final four last year if they didn't have the year before that where they made the Elite Eight under their belts. Right. Um, to go through all the injuries that they had, to go through the you know the, the issues that they went through and the path to get to the final four, they don't get there without the year the years of experience that they gained the year before. ASU doesn't have that. And they play 
at Stanford, at Cal, and then they play Utah and Colorado at home, and then in three weeks they play at the, at the Washington schools. They could legitimately go two and four, three and three over that stretch, and it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, they could. They probably, honestly, should be one and four right, right now. Well, yeah, Oregon State should Oregon beat State them. was in complete control of that game, up, up thirteen with about eight to go, and then you know, kind of beaved it, if you will, and cooped it to the term. But I mean, they kind of just blew that game, and Arizona State made a bunch of shots, played pretty well down the stretch to win, but. Yeah, Arizona State to me, I and, and this is crucial for Oregon because that is their marquee game. If Arizona State turns out to be a flop and say they finish nine and nine in Pac-12 play, that hurts Oregon. That hurts Oregon a lot because right now that's the game that you go. Well, what is Oregon? If you're looking at School A and School B and you go, well, Oregon has this marquee win over Mar- Arizona State. If they're you know thirteen and five or fourteen and four in the Pac-12 and, and considered one of the top teams in March, that's one thing. If they're nine and nine, you kind of go, well, that wasn't that great of a win. Maybe right. their RPI is good, but Arizona didn't play very well towards the end. So. Oregon fans should become Arizona State fans from here on out because that is by far the most uh, impressive win. And, and frankly, I don't know what to expect from Arizona State. I think we've seen, uh, you know, in non-conference play, them play really well, but they could be 1-4, 0-5 in Pac-12 play if not for a couple of plays here and there against Utah and, and Oregon State. I mean, there's no no denying they have really impressive wins. A uh, neutral site win over Xavier, who at the time was 15th in the country, they went to Kansas and beat them when they were number two in the country at home. Uh, they had an early season win over San Diego State by 22. Um, they beat Kansas State by by two points. Uh, they they've beaten Vanderbilt uh, by 12 points. Uh, I had to do math there for a second, but you know once they got to Pac-12 play, you know they've lost two of their, of their first five games, and the teams that they've beaten are Utah and Oregon State, you know, two bottom dwellers uh, the last year or so in the Pac-12. And, you know, two teams I don't think many people were expecting a lot from this season. So um, it's interesting to watch. It's it, There's going to be a lot to play out. Um, real quick, before we get to recruiting, Steve Lavin had a yeah. – Top six on the Pac-12 networks, which was really interesting. Well, I think he had a top 12, but I only came in midway through the second, and I didn't have my record on, so I didn't catch the first six. But, uh, yeah, Oregon was third in it, which sort of surprised me, because you look at the standings, and I think, what, are they, are they tied for sixth right now? Seventh. Seventh. I mean, they're not in good standing right now, and they, they have two wins. But, they, you know, and I think one of the points he made on the show was, was that Dana Allman's teams always get better from here. And I think that's kind of one of the reasons why there's so com- much confidence in why Oregon fans can probably carry a little bit more than they probably should for a team that, frankly, has had very few moments where they've looked like a really good basketball team. But he had them third, and, and he had Arizona, and then Arizona State one and two still. And I thought giving the Sun Devils the benefit of that was a little surprising. Uh, I think he rounded that out with Stanford, Colorado, and USC, who um, I know you said in the top seven, which I thought was that's really kind of weird. that's really weird. <laughs> that's really weird considering um, you know UCLA is you know tied first. For third right now in the league with USC at four and well, two. That, considering what happened at UCLA, yeah, there's like, maybe I mean, a little maybe there's a little blood blood. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, the Bruins are thirteen and five. It's not like you know they've they've had like a, a start like Stanford has, where they had a losing record in, in non-con and right. have made a run. And you know they've got wins over Georgia Tech and uh, Wisconsin, Kentucky. Uh, they played close to Michigan. They played close to Cincinnati for a little bit. Um, you know, non-conference wise, they've they've got some wins. Um, they have lost to Colorado at home, which was a bad loss. Uh, it was it was pretty much in doubt, you know, the whole way through. Right. Um, they have a, a road loss at Stanford, but Stanford is four and one in, in Pac-12 play. So, you know, I look at this team though. That that six, I have no problem putting Arizona number one. I think 
Right. They're clear and away the best team in the conference right now. I agree. Um, I would probably have Colorado in my top six. I would have UCLA in my top six. Uh, I'd have Arizona State in my top six. But if we're that would lead me down to USC um, and Oregon. I would probably put Oregon in there ahead of USC because uh, I would lean with you know they've got more experience coming. You know they've got experience coming back from Peyton Pritchard and a couple seniors. Uh, in, in McIntosh and Elijah Brown who played elsewhere, but experience. Right. Um, then they've got a, re- they had a really good re- freshman recruiting class. And then most importantly, I think, uh, Dan Altman's a much better coach than Andy Anfield is. Uh, and, and like you said, this team always seems to get better around mid-February. That, that, I think the record is they haven't lost a, a, non- a conference game, uh, after Valentine's Day over the last four or five years. Right. Uh, we'll have to get that stat down because. It's a home game. Uh, no, it's in general. It's general? Oh. Um, down the road. So, uh, Oregon here is, is in position, I think, to make a, a, a big run and improve their chances for the NCAA tournament and, um, have another season where they can, you know, prop up the, the, the idea that, you know, they are a program that's here now. They're building. That, right. And that they are a legit powerhouse. And, you know, that's important because they've, they've done it two years in a row now on the recruiting trail and they want to get that third. For 2019, but segue though into 2018, doesn't it? Man? Yeah, for two, for 2018, <laughs> uh, Oregon coaches are across the country right now. Um, like we mentioned, uh, recruiting and watching prospects play, and three of their guys that have signed with Oregon: uh, Bull Bull, uh, the, the highest rated player ever to sign with the Ducks; uh, Lewis King, the third highest rated player to ever sign with the Ducks; and then um, Will Richardson, a four-star top 50 guard from Oak Hill Academy, all played in the Hoop All Classic. And all three of them straight up dominated, especially Bull Bull. Well, yeah, and Bull Bull and King both scored with 30 points, and Richardson almost had a triple double. And these games were all on TV, so there's and a little bit of there's a little bit of building that brand right there. And we talked about building that program when you get those guys playing like that. Also in front of Dana Altman, who yes. I'm sure is on a plane home right now. Like, <laughs> yeah, things look pretty good for 2018, 2019, don't they? Yeah, I think um, the branding aspect of it is a really good point, and I actually, you know. It triggered in my mind while I was watching the games, right. but I never thought to actually talk about it here. Um, I I think Oregon with the Oregon basketball program. I watched Lou King's and Richardson's games uh, played today, and I also had uh, the game that was on between them in between their, their two games on as well. So I watched six hours of basketball uh, Monday morning, um, or had had at least on the TV while I was doing stuff around the house, and I I probably heard. Oregon basketball, Oregon commit, future ducks, some combination referencing the Oregon program probably a hundred times yeah. over that six hour period. Um, Oregon's program certainly was profiled a lot. And while you and I are watching that because it's our jobs and there's a lot of people out there who are relying on us to, re- to relay the information of what happened in those games because they can't watch it. The high school recruit, the, the, the player that, that Oregon is going after, they're watching. Mm-hmm. They've got it on DVR because they want to watch their peers play. They want to watch their, you know, they want to have that. They have that dream of I want to play in the Hoopal Classic because this is a huge tournament every year that happens for ESPN. Um, it's kind of turned into a kind of a ritual thing for the elite to play in every year. That's huge for this program's branding. Absolutely, it is. And and again, you know, just looking at kind of what this group projects to do next year, I thought Luke King had an interesting comment. I put it up on the, on the site where. 
he was asked, I think, by someone from USA Today kind of about playing with Bull Bull, and one thing he said was he thinks they're going to have the number one team in the country next year. And, and if, there's, you know, if, if what they did this weekend is any indication, I don't want to say it's for sure that going to be the case they're going to be number one at one point in the season, but it certainly seems attainable because those three guys, and you throw in Miles Norris, and then a bunch of the guys that we would expect would return, obviously nothing is set in stone, um, but a number of players that are key on this year's team with eligibility remaining, there is reason to think that this team next year could be awfully good. And, you know, you have a centerpiece like Bull Bull. That's a player that doesn't come around very no. often. And, and Luke King, another guy like that, um, who's kind of a dog. I mean, I think that guy's almost underrated as a five-star recruit. And, and certainly Bull Bull's the headliner. But King might be just as valuable for Oregon just because of how aggressive he is, how versatile he is. He can shoot it. He can drive it. He can finish in traffic. He's good defensively. He can rebound. I mean, he can do a lot of things. And uh, Oregon, certainly, we, we've touched on this, obviously, on our podcast during the signing day, but uh, certainly a lot of reasons for a lot of optimism next yeah. year because this program is going to have a lot of talent and probably a lot of draft scouts watching them every every game. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, Dan Altman was super high on DeAndre Ayton, calling him, you know, a player he's never seen before in the Pac-12. Um, he's probably going to say something similar to that, or other Pac-12 coaches will say that about Bull Bull next season for Oregon. Um, I think Aiden's the better player. I don't think that's really in discussion right now. Um, but Bull Bull has a chance to get to that kind of stratosphere that DeAndre Aiden has, uh, where you're the number one draft pick in the discussion. Yeah. Um, I think Bull Bull's got to play harder. Evan Daniels, our national basketball uh, scout director, um, re- reported on our site, on Duck Territory, um, earlier this week that you know he's got some – Issues where sometimes he kind of doesn't play very hard, uh, and he has some lapses in, in what he, in his game, but that Hoopal Classic was by far the hardest he'd ever seen him play, and coincidentally, it was his best game he'd ever played. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he finished like 31 points yeah. on like 12 of 14 shooting in just 20 minutes of, of action for Finley Prep. Um, but you know, as Daniels mentioned, he only had three rebounds, and, you know, for a guy that's seven foot two. Either they didn't miss a lot of shots and there wasn't that many boards to, to grab, or he has to do a better job at that. Right. Um, but I agree with you on, on Bull Bull. He's a once-in-a-generational type talent. Luke King, I watched him, and I, I looked at him thinking, that is Elgin Cook. Mm-hmm. Um, but taller, more athletic, certainly longer, and better skills uh, as a freshman than when Elgin Cook was probably a, a junior right. or a senior at Oregon. He's not as strong. That, that's what made Elgin Cook a very difficult, you know, matchup problem for teams because he could, he was a really strong guy. But the way Elgin Cook played at Oregon, I think, is the way Lou King's going to be used, uh, even more so. You know, Paul Biancardi of ESPN referenced, you know, Dylan Brooks type. I think that's a fair comparison as well, um, for Lou King. Uh, but, and he's certainly bigger and longer than, than Brooks was, um, by a long shot. And then we haven't even talked about, uh, Miles Norris, you know, I think he played in that event as well. Um, we just didn't get a chance to watch him on TV, and he's, you know, Chris Boucher 2.0 from from what Oregon coaches have said of, of, of him. And then Will Richardson showed uh, he. I didn't know this. He averaged 31 points a game his junior year before going to Oak Hill Academy. I didn't realize he was that prolific of a scorer. So Oregon basketball's making that run for another NCAA tournament berth this year, and it looks certainly like. Uh, they're in a position for another one. And, that, and in terms of King's comment of we're going to have the number one team in the country, I think that's not going to happen. I think that's going to go to Duke. Um, but I would say Oregon's got a legit chance at number two. Right. 
that's going to do it for us on the podcast. Thanks for listening. Uh, as always, go to Duck Territory with EDUC, uh, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. Um, you can go to oregon.247sports.com and uh, get your, all your football, Oregon basketball, all your recruiting needs. Uh, we'll be covering the UC, USC game on Thursday, a UCLA game Saturday night. So it's a huge opportunity for the Ducks. Uh, we'd appreciate it if you go to the site, check us out, check our reading out. Uh, and also follow us on Twitter. Um, just search for our names, Matt Prem and Eric Scopel, and you'll find us real quick. Until we talk to you tomorrow, or not tomorrow, but until we talk maybe. to you, maybe, uh, <laughs> sometime in the next week or so, we will talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. See you guys.